Welcome to the Bradleyville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We are located at 25861 State Highway 76 in Bradleyville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. with worship to follow at 10.30 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now enjoy our lesson. This time of year we think about the resurrection of Jesus. You think about what that resurrection means for us. But I want to, I want to go back today, and I want to think about um, what does it mean? What did, what, did, what did the Passover mean to Jesus? What is, the, what is the Passover, and how did it relate to Jesus' life? And you think, well, what does this have to do with what we're talking about today? What would, what would it have to do with, with Easter, right, and the resurrection? But I want, to, I want us to go back and look at what, what's going on at this time of, of of the year in the life of, of, a, of a Jew. And in particular, I want to think about in the, in the minds of Jesus. If, if, uh, if you were to look at a calendar, you'd say, your calendar's going to say today is Easter. But if you were to have a calendar that had holidays from around the world or events from around the world, you would have seen that Friday at sundown was Passover. That was the start of Passover. And Jesus, growing up in, in a Jewish home, in a Jewish culture, that would have been something that would have been very prominent in the life of Jesus. So what does the Passover mean? What did the Passover mean to Jesus? And we'll tie this back in again to the resurrection when we get to the end. But I want to think about what, what events in Jesus' life were connected to the Passover, or what were well, how was the Passover connected to events in Jesus' life? And how did that help him in his in his, in his shaping of his life? in his ministry, and ultimately in his purpose in going to the cross. You want to open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin with the story of Jesus when he's 12 years old. You'll remember the story. You may not have always remembered the context of it, but Luke chapter 2 is the only, the only teenage story. Jesus is technically not a teenager here by our standards. He's 12 years old. But this is the only adolescent story that we have of Jesus. And you might recall, this is the story of Jesus going to the temple with his parents. Apparently for the first time, not, not, not aware that he had ever been uh, there for this particular feast before. But, but Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. The first thing I want to notice here was, God put Jesus into a home of faithfulness. You notice that Joseph and Mary were in the habit of going to Jerusalem for the Passover every year. Well, why was that? Well, if you were to go over, if you were to go back to Exodus chapter 23, you're going to see that the Passover was one of the three feasts in which the Jewish males were to appear before the Lord every year. You had the, the Passover or Feast of Unleavened Bread. You had the Feast of Weeks, what, what would be called the Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And you had the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was a time when all Jewish males were supposed to go to, to prepare for the Lord. But it was, you had to be intentional about it. You had, to, you had to make plans to do this. And so not only was Joseph going, but Mary was going with him. And now when Jesus gets to 12 years old, what are they doing? Taking Jesus along too. Because it's time for him to be involved in the in the, the worship of the community, and the worship of the, the Jewish body. And so they, they take off and they go to Jerusalem. And it says, verse 42, And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. 
And when they finished their days and they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind. Now I want to pause for just a second. I, we're going to focus in on, on what happens in the story with Jesus staying in the temple. But I want you to think about this. What did Jesus see and what did he hear when he went to Jerusalem at 12 years old? Hold your finger there in Luke chapter 2. And I want to go back to, um, I want to go back to Exodus chapter 12. And I want to remind us of what the Passover was. This is important in the life of, of, the, of the Israel, but it's important in the life of Jesus as well. Exodus chapter 12 is in the context of the ten plagues. You remember the plagues that God poured out on Egypt because Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go. He wouldn't let them leave Egypt. <clears throat> And so, I'm going to put my bookmark there or I won't make it back here. And so they get down to the 10th to the plague. And the 10th plague is going to be what? Death of the firstborn, right? And so, and so that Israel is protected from this plague, God's going to give them, he's going to give them a, a Passover, you might say. He's going to give them a pass in this, in this situation. But it's going to require a sacrifice. Exodus chapter 12, beginning verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, and it shall be the first of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. You should, yeah, your lamb shall be without blemish. Listen to this. A male... Of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Now we're going to pause right there. You could go back and you can read the rest of that. And it gives more details about how they were to cook it and how they were to eat it. But I want you to think about it from the perspective of a 12-year-old Jesus that's come to Jerusalem for the Passover. What's he hearing? What's he seeing? He's going to see these lambs all gathered together, right? And they're going to be sacrificed. And that blood's going to be spilled. And I want you to think about a 12-year-old who at some point in time is beginning to understand his purpose here on earth is different than most 12-year-old boys' purpose. At what point did Jesus begin to correlate that lamb of the Passover with me? Because we're going to find out when we read through scriptures that Jesus is going to be representative. That that lamb actually is a foreshadow of what Jesus would do on the cross. And I want you just to, I want us to be impressed with the fact that you've got a young man here who is at a young age beginning to understand his purpose. How do we know that? Because we read on through and we see that Jesus is going to stay behind. Whenever, whenever the, the time of the feast is over, when that feast of unleavened bread is done after the eighth day, and Mary and Joseph are heading back home, where does Jesus stay? He lingers behind, right? And he's not out in the alley playing stickball or pickleball with the boys, right? He's in the temple. And they come back and they look for him. It takes them three days to find him. He's in the temple. And you remember, they ask him, well, what are you doing here? Why, why did you trouble us this way? And Jesus says, why did you seek me? Didn't you know I should what? Be about my father's business. Jesus knew, even at the age of 12, that his father had a business and that he was going to be about it. And so at some point in time, Jesus is beginning to understand that there's going to be a sacrifice made. 
And this lamb of the Passover is representative of a suffering Savior. Notice here I've got Isaiah chapter 54, verse 7. Actually, that should be 53. Verse. I don't know why my passages, my references are so messed up today. Probably because I wrote this and I put my lesson together while I'm thinking about other things anyway. 53.7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before it shears silent, so he opened not his mouth. At what point in time does a 12-year-old boy hear or read Isaiah 53 and realize that's about me. That prophecy is about me. First step in Jesus' life that we see the Passover play an integral role in is that is that that foreshadowing of what Jesus would do when he would go to the cross. Jesus is a 12-year-old boy comes to Jerusalem and he hears and he sees the reality of the Passover. And at some point, that begins to sink in. He begins to understand that his father's business includes him going to the cross and dying. Despite his youth, Jesus was astonishing the teachers. He, he astonished them with his understanding, with his answers, but he had more growing to do. You go down to the end of the chapter, Luke chapter uh, 2, verse 52. But Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. Man, he's going to continue to grow and to develop. But that Passover has a, has a very important role in the formation and the transformation say, or, the, or the, the development of Jesus as he's moving towards his mission. Now let's jump forward in time a little bit. Let's go to John chapter 2. I want to see another part of the Passover's role in Jesus' uh, life as he's beginning his ministry. John chapter 1 and 2 tell a story that progresses over a series of days. If you read through there, you're going to see on the next day and on the next day and the following day. So this is a pretty condensed period of time. Jesus is going to, he's going to be in, in um, Judea where John the baptizer is baptizing. John's going to baptize him. Then the next day he's going to see Jesus walking. He's going to call him the Lamb of God. His disciples are going to follow after him. He's going to go and... Uh, one of them's Andrew. He's going to go get his brother Peter. He's going to bring him. Philip and Nathaniel are going to join them up. A couple days later, they're going to end up in Cana of Galilee at the wedding feast. You remember that story about where Jesus turns water into wine? And if you notice in chapter 2, beginning around verse 13, it says that, uh, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Let's pause there. Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the Passover. What does he find? What does he see? What does he hear? He goes there to observe a feast of reminder of the deliverance that Israel had from their captivity. And he finds money changers in his father's house. Now I want you just, I want to pause for just a second. Put yourself again in Jesus' shoes. How, how do you react to that? How do, how, do you, how do you respond to that? As you know, you're about to begin your ministry. And you're about to start to proclaim the message of the gospel. You're about to, to speak about the coming of the kingdom. And you go into your father's house and you see this going on. I think we can relate to how Jesus would respond. You notice what he does here. He finds these people making merchandise in his father's house. And he thinks about this. 
Psalm chapter 69, verse 8 and 9. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. He's going to, he's going, he's going to remember that this is the Father's house. This is a house of worship. And it says there, this, this psalm is, is, again, speaking to about Jesus' response. It says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And it's going to cause some division in, amongst them. This is going to be a part of what's going to cause some division amongst, between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Because it says there, I've become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's children. Why? Because I have a different perspective on the house of God. So despite his... Uh, lack of authority in the eyes of the Jews. Look what Jesus does. You've heard this story before. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple, all out of the temple, with the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the money changers' temple, and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Can you picture Jesus this, this is probably the best, the best picture that I can think of of, a, of Jesus in his, in his bodily form and righteous indignation. Right? You've got a man who is stirred up. And this is taking place around the Passover feast. Jesus is beginning his ministry. And this is going to set the tone for, for his relationship between the Jewish leaders. He drives those scoundrels out. Of the temple. He drives the sheep out. He drives the, the oxen out. He sends the people who have the doves. He sends them out. He says, get them out of here because my father's house, you've made it into a house of merchandise. Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is where I want to tie our minds back to what we're, what we're talking about today with the resurrection of Jesus. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, they're thinking about the physical temple. They say it took 46 years to build this temple. You think you're going to you're going to rebuild it in three days? We know because we're looking back at 2020 vision. But the disciples remember this after after his resurrection, verse 22. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, the disciples remember that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus said. Even in this scene, in the first of his three Passovers that Jesus has experienced during his ministerial period, he's already looking forward. He's, he's, he's seeing down the road where the Passover is going to lead him. It's going to lead him to the cross. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. Jesus was alluding there to a foreshadow of his own death and resurrection. I'm going through these kind of quick because I want to get to the point here at the end. But now we see chapter 6. And Jesus is in the middle of his ministry now. <clears throat> and the Passover is going to play another role. Chapter 6, uh, if you've got a heading over chapter 6, it probably says feeding the 5,000. This is a scene in which Jesus has a great multitude following him. And um, numbers 5,000 men plus women and children. And verse 5 says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this is going to set off then a series of events and some conversations that are going to challenge Jesus' followers. Now, we talked about this several weeks ago, so again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through this, but I want to just remind ourselves of what happens here. Jesus feeds these 5,000 with five loaves and two small fishes. 
And they come running after him. They, they, they continue to follow after him. Jesus, after he feeds them, he puts his disciples in a boat. They sail across the Sea of Galilee. He goes up on a mountain to pray. That's, this is the walking on the water scene, right? When he walks on the water and, he, and they, they, they see him come and they're scared of him. When they get to the other side, the next morning the multitude wakes up and they look around. Where's Jesus? And so they start to follow him. They realize that the boat that, that his disciples got in are not there. They chase him to the other side. When they catch up with him, what do they want him to do? Feed us, right? You get down to verse, uh, verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone, just for the sake of time, I want to skip down verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got in the boats and came to Capernaum seeking him. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you come? when did you come here? And notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, Most surely I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. This is going to become a, a, a tipping point in the ministry of Jesus. Up to this point in time, people have been following him in droves. And we talked about this, like I said, a couple, several weeks ago. If, if Jesus were going to start his ministry, and if it was simply going to be about numbers, this would have been success. He's got 5,000 men plus women and children, you might say, on the hook, right? And yet they're following him for reasons that are not authentic. They're following him because they've been fed and not because they're true disciples. He's going to challenge them in chapter 6 with some very blunt conversations. And it's going to deal around spiritual bread versus physical bread. Notice what he says. <clears throat> um, notice what he says in verse 32. Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. This is, they're talking about the manna. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who's he talking about? Talking about himself, right? He's going to go on to say in verse 35, I am the bread of life. And what you're going to find in this conversation is they're going to begin to choke on the bread of life. Because all they're wanting is physical bread. All they're wanting is signs and miracles. They want Jesus. They want a Jesus who will perform for them. They want a Jesus who they can come and take and make king and that he's going to rule according to their expectations. Jesus, I didn't come to make that kind of kingdom. I came to bring a spiritual bread for a spiritual kingdom. And he gets to the point where even down in the chapter, he's going to challenge them with with. A, a phrase that they're, they're really, they're really going to choke on. Uh, verse 41 says, uh, Then Jews complained about him, saying, Because I, he said, I am the bread of life which came down from heaven. And um, he says in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he was from God. He has seen. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread he shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And notice what they say. 
They quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus is talking here, and they're thinking here, right? They're not on the same plane. And that's going to be a, that's going to be a point of stumbling for the Jews. You get down to verse 60, and you see that this becomes a point in which even some of Jesus' disciples are going to choke on. Therefore, many of his disciples, when he heard this, said, heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? Is it, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But these, there are some among you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who, 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 those who they were who did not believe and those who betray him. And look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. This Passover is going to be a transition in the ministry of Jesus. It's going to get to, it's going to, going to divide, you might say, the, the wheat from the tares. It's going to get the, the, the wheat and the chaff separated from each other. And a lot of the chaff's going to be blown away. And that's going to be a, a, a challenge for Jesus' disciples. And yet they're going, to, they're going to hold true. Notice what Jesus asked them in verse 70. Do you want to also go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's going to be the difference between those who are going to truly follow after Jesus and those who are going to be washed by the waves. They're going to be blown by the wind. They're going to be tossed by the sea because they're not going to be chasing after Jesus from a, from a standpoint of faith as much as it is a standpoint. They're not going to be chasing Jesus from a spiritual perspective as much as they are from a, a physical perspective. This all takes place around the Passover. Now I want to jump to the final Passover. And I want us to spend the rest of our time thinking about what this final Passover meant to Jesus. You know this story well, but I want to refresh your memory. Jesus is heading toward the cross, and the Passover is approaching. Remember, this is a time whenever Israel would be gathered together at Jerusalem to partake of this Passover meal, which is a reminder of their deliverance from Egypt. And there's going to be lambs that are going to be killed, and blood's going to be shed. And all this Jesus can remember from a young age, perhaps as young as 12, he understood, this is what I'm heading towards. And I want to pick up in John chapter 12 which sets the scene about six days before the Passover. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, uh, was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And so we're going to see this anointing take place in Bethany. In verse 9, we're going to see um, a, uh, the plot to kill Lazarus. And what I want to focus in on is first off the, the triumphal in, entry in chapter in verse 12. The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. What is that? That's a king's entry, right? Whenever, whenever our kids were little, we had these little storybooks. And, and Natalie's favorite was the one about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And the way it ended was he entered Jerusalem like a gentle king. She loved the picture of Jesus riding on a donkey coming into Jerusalem. That's what you see here just a few days before the Passover. Jesus coming into Jerusalem 
like a gentle king. You've got people laying palm branches in the road and, and other, other um, gospels would talk about even laying their clothes in the road. And they're yelling this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And even his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written about him and that, these, that they had done these things to him. And so you see Jesus entering like a king, but you know how quickly the scene changes. You see how quickly it begins to transform. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now remember, we've, we've talked about this before too. Jesus used this phrase, the hour, throughout his ministry. And whenever back in, whenever the, he's back in Cana of Galilee and Mary comes to him and she says, hey, we want you to turn this water in right. Remember, he says, he says what, have, what does that have to do with me when my hour has not yet come? Now Jesus says, the hour has come. And I want you to notice what it's pointed at. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus here is alluding to a death. And we know it's his death he's talking about here. And now he's heading towards the cross. I want you just, again, put, your, put yourself in Jesus' position. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? You see a group of people, a magnitude of people, a multitude of people who on one day are, are you, you might say, chanting your name, right? They're rooting for you. They're welcoming you into Jerusalem like a gentle king. And what's going to happen in just a number of days? This is all taking place around the Passover. We see people who didn't believe in Jesus. They, they saw this stuff going on, but they didn't understand the meaning of it. Look at verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. How many signs? So many signs. How many signs should it take? One. And Jesus had done a plethora of signs and they still didn't believe in him. They, they welcomed him as a king when he met their expectations. But whenever he begins to, to preach and he begins to challenge and he begins, to, he begins to, to, to push their spiritual boundaries, they begin to choke. Notice, what's, uh, notice what this prophetic statement is that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed your, our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. He's talking about Jesus there. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he's going to go on to talk about the fact that these people who were rejecting him were rejecting God. 
They're rejecting the, the testimony of the Father. That'd be a hard thing to take. It would be hard to, to see people who are not just rejecting me, but they're rejecting my Father who sent me. And that's what Jesus is faced with as he's going towards the cross. These rulers wouldn't believe in him. Jesus is going to challenge and We won't take for the sake of time. We won't take the time to read verses 44 through 50. But I will punctuate with 50. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Jesus here was speaking the words of the Father to them. Now I want to go, and I'm just going to read. And I'm going to try to limit my comments because I don't want to keep this here very long. But I want us to think about as we're reading the last bit of Mark, to think about the fact that this is all related to the Passover. And this is what I uh, intended to, for our scripture reading to come out of, but I put 12 instead of 14 here. So turn your Bibles over to Mark chapter 14. I want you to read along with me here. Beginning in Mark chapter 14, verse 1. And after two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table. And a woman came having alabaster flasks of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Now there are some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why is this fragrant oil wasted? For it, might, for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, including Bradenville, Missouri, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. That Jesus Iscariot, one of the twelve, went out to the chief priest to betray him then, to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, take your mind back to 12-year-old Jesus. When they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that we may eat the Passover? He sent out, he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him wherever he goes in. Say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve, and as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never 
been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup when he had given thanks. <clears throat> and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all will be made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Then they came to a place, which is called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip down. <clears throat> Chapter 15, verse 21. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated, place of the skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with murder drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them, to, be, to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, The king of the Jews, him they also with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wiping their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days. Heard that before, haven't we? Save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves what the scribes said. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard it said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. 
And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the temple of the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that, he cried out like this and breathed his saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they were trembling and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast out seven demons. So he went and told all who had been with him as they had mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. And it goes on to describe how he was seen by two other disciples. This is the Passover in Jesus' life. It's hard to think of a it's hard to think of an event that is more integral in the life of a human being than this. This is the reason why Jesus came to this earth. He came down to be the Passover for us came down to shed his blood so that we could be passed over, that our sins could be forgiven, that we could stand justified in the day of judgment. And it's something that he had to experience in his life. On a, from the age of 12 up, he had to go through this Passover experience. Sometimes it's good for us to go back and just to remember what events mean to people. And particularly what the Passover means meant to Jesus. I want to encourage you this week to think about think about, think about what the resurrection of Jesus, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus means to you. Think about think about the, the power that it has in your life. God in the flesh going to the cross so that our sins can be taken away. That's what we've been studying in our Sunday morning class, right? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness or the justification of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Are you living by faith today? Have you been justified by the blood of Jesus? Does the Passover mean anything to you in your life? If it does, I want to encourage you to make a change today. I want you to go back and I want you to read what the Passover meant to Jesus. And I want you to remember that he did all that. He went through all that. He experienced it all for you and for me. If you'd like to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ today, we can help you do that. Jesus would go on to say in Mark chapter 16 that we were to go and preach the gospel to every creature. 
through all, throughout all the world. And he said, he who believes that gospel and is baptized will be saved. Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.